Hello, and welcome to the Take Us Directed podcast. I'm Sarah Allender, Deputy Director and Senior Fellow with the CSIS Global Health Policy Center. On this episode, we are pleased to talk with Dr. Farhana Amanullah, an experienced clinician and expert in pediatric tuberculosis, which is often overlooked in low- and middle-income countries. She holds several prominent positions in Pakistan, including heading the largest private sector TB program for children in the country and with a Stop TB partnership at the World Health Organization. Welcome, Dr. Amanullah. Thank you so much for having me. Many of our listeners may know that TB is the number one infectious disease killer in the world, but probably don't know as much about how TB affects children. And each year, one million children develop TB. Of those, nearly a quarter million, 239,000 die, which is one in four compared to one in six adults who contract the disease. Can you tell us a little bit about how TB particularly affects children and how it might look a little bit different in children than it does in adults? Yes. Um, so so it's very true that pediatric TB or or TB that happens, that occurs in children, is different from adult TB. Uh, in fact, there is a variation over the different time periods in a child's life where their immune system is changing and and the way they respond to the TB bacterium also changes. So essentially, if you think about tuberculosis, it classically enters the household by an adult or a child may get exposed to someone outside the home with infectious tuberculosis. And that bacterium is airborne, enters their lungs and essentially gets a majority of the children would would just contain the infection and uh, contain the bacterium and develop what's called an uh, a latent stage. Although, Although we don't like to call call it latent anymore because in in children it's such a short period of latency so called where uh, they can they can go on to develop active disease which is which essentially means getting sick with with the bacteria uh, and that that period between uh, getting infected and getting sick is very short in in young children so if a baby contracts it say a, a baby under 2 years of age or under 5 years of age they are they have a high likelihood of getting sick with tuberculosis as as opposed to just containing it and for it being quiet and once they get sick with tuberculosis the likelihood of the bacterium disseminating meaning they it just can go and and uh, either um, you know it can go in their bloodstream or it can go and get lodged in, in another organ or another uh, system and brain is like a well uh, you know perfused organ so it typically goes to the brain and then once you're once the bacterium is in the brain it can cause devastating outcomes it can kill children with meningitis or make make what is known as tuberculomas which is essentially it's disease in the brain and this is something that does not happen typically in adults. So children are the most vulnerable to get these horrid forms of tuberculosis. They can end up with, even if treated appropriately, they can end up with debilitating conditions like irreversible brain damage. They can end up with seizures. Uh, They can end up with deformities if it goes in their bones. They can end up with, uh, um, you know, lost, lost lungs and chronic lung disease. So 
essentially they get a very they get a horrible start in life and then require many additional health services that would otherwise you know in in especially in low income uh low middle income countries are just not available so so that's why ch- children under 5 are particularly vulnerable the second group that's highly vulnerable are adolescents so teens and and early teens again those there that's another group where the immune system is also you can say it's it's different or it's a little weaker because of the hormonal changes that are taking place so these kids are also we see we see uh, typically see a peak in the incidence in adolescents and in children under 5 so these are the two particularly vulnerable groups that can get tb very easily and can go on to active and debilitating forms and can die if not treated that's uh, how they I, i would say are different from adults because the complication rate and the and the mortality rate is higher adolescents however type of disease they get is very similar to that uh, in adults but they are more vulnerable to getting it mm. and treatment rates among children are particularly low i understand treatment. yes absolutely that is a huge misfortune because um and again that also relates to how tuberculosis is different it's is a little different in children and the, the the issue is that it it mimics a lot of the general uh health problems in children so common childhood illnesses like pneumonia having a chronic fever from any other cause so they are getting treated for a common childhood illness an upper respiratory or lower respiratory tract infection where you just have a cough or so the treatment gets delayed reaching diagnosis gets delayed and and then by the same token reaching the the correct and effective treatment also gets delayed it is more clear cut in adults they come in with the not feeling so good not no appetite a losing weight or they have a cough which is really chronic i mean chronic in the sense that it hasn't responded to treatment in the in 3 weeks or so and then you know that that is but but in children the symptoms are so vague and sometimes they can be asymptomatic and still have tb disease so that's one of the reasons why children sometimes don't reach treatment uh, the the lack of awareness of frontline care providers of the typical uh, ways in which tb can present um and the other reason is that sometimes children you know the the way health systems are structured so tb programs are often operated as a separate silo uh, sort of a setup where uh, even if a physician diagnoses tb the child may actually never reach that particular clinic or you know may need to be facilitated and actually helped in getting there with an appropriate linkage so it's also poor linkages uh, that and and many countries also face uh, challenges with um doing simple things like a chest x-ray they may not have access to providing chest x-rays to everyone or uh, the capacity to do so and that can often happen in areas of conflict or you know just hard to reach terrains that can often happen and with children the confidence to diagnose tb in 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 physicians is also a little bit low they feel that oh i don't know what to do with this kid and i'm not sure i want an expert to see this kid although you know who has given very very simple guidelines that if followed 
you know, it can be done. So a lot of times the capacity and the confidence and the mentoring just isn't there and children get missed in in all of this. I'd love to hear a little bit of your perspective, taking what you've just said and drilling down to sure. South Asia, where you have most yes. of your your focus. You're the director of child TB programs at the Indus Hospital Karachi in Pakistan and have a variety of other roles there. This is a region of the world that's particularly affected by childhood TB what have been some of the strategies in your work to address the particular issues? What are some of the challenges uh, that you face in your day-to-day work? So I think one of the earlier challenges was really that uh, the fact that, again, I felt very, uh, I felt like other pediatricians that, you know, this is really not my area of expertise. And I, I don't think I want to get into this. But then, very quickly, we realized uh, when I started working for a, in this hospital, which is a free hospital in Karachi and caters to particularly to the lower income people. And I very quickly realized that the, that the children I was referring out, thinking that they will be taken care of, were not reaching the care that they needed. And they were coming back with the same problem or they were just lost. So you know, maybe they died. And there was no mechanism that I had of tracking and really finding out what happened. So that weighed very heavy on my conscience. And I, together with uh, with other colleagues, we, uh, we started a program uh, at Indus Hospital and, um, and really uh, scaled up the facilities um, or the capacity to diagnose and and treat children, and we started a daily clinic. So we we realized that you know if we had a clinic just once a week, there may be children just walking in, and they may not have the funds to bring the child back the following. So it's like it, it was another way of missing children. So, And then the, the testing, of course, was, was free in this hospital. So we had that, uh, adva- that huge advantage that we could use the hospital uh, to build on our program. And then we, we used this model to essentially write grants for more funding to take it beyond in this hospital and sort of have healthcare health centers, rather, within public sector hospitals that we could use to take the advantage of this care delivery model outside of it. It has worked well because we have partnered essentially. So we, as a private organization, have partnered with a public organization, with public sector hospitals, to provide a better quality of care, build capacity of the doctors existing there, or provide our own trained physicians where that capacity doesn't exist. And also we we have been so there are 10 such such sites in uh, Karachi which is a, a large mega mega city where we are essentially screening children who are just coming there can be up to 5000 children walking through the doors of a public sector hospital and whoever is high risk is exposed to someone with tuberculosis comes in has is is worked up and if they have TB, then they, they reach the appropriate treatment. Or if they don't have TB, then they are obviously treated for whatever condition they have. So it's a, you know, so so the child gets the care they need. If they have, for example, if, we, if another disease is detected, that can be taken care of 
within the network, then we ensure that the child reaches the that particular physician that would take care of, of the child. I mean, we have been, we've sometimes uh, uh, picked up children with, with cancer, with lymphomas, who were again kind of lost in the system and found the appropriate care uh, that they needed thanks to it. So so that is one model that has uh, that has worked for us but uh, again it has required a lot of work and uh, a lot of commitment from from everyone and and the funding gaps have essentially been filled by funds that we've gotten through grants. Other countries can certainly follow this model but it it would require I mean, I know for a fact that it would require commitment, and uh, and it it is doable. And yes, challenges are many. I I can <laughs> I can uh, go on with the challenges. I think one of the biggest challenges is, you know, ensuring that patients uh, actually get to the the care they deserve. So, for example, if someone, some child. In, in a peripheral location, his kid's unable to afford a CT scan, a CAT scan, and this is something that we can do for them at the Indus Hospital, then we have to facilitate the transfer even or, or do something about it, which can be difficult because, again, providing facilitating so many patients, it becomes difficult in the bigger picture. So we, we try to be innovative. We try to bring a group of them together or you know, provide some uh, incentive uh, uh, for for bringing them in. But but there are, uh, I mean, even with the best of, of of programs, there there are many still many many challenges, particularly preventive therapy, which is a big push of uh, from the pediatric side because that is something that that it actually prevents uh, morbidity and death in children from tuberculosis and has been around for years and years and it's a simple tool that can that can prevent the 700 plus deaths we see every day in children preventive therapy is is one of the biggest challenges and not just in our program but in in many other countries that I've visited as uh, with WHO missions and keeping starting children on preventive therapy and ensuring uptake for 6 months is is it's a huge challenge and i mean it's just think about it like the, your child is fine and you're giving him a medicine for six months, and you have to remember to give the child the medicine. And if they get a little bit of diarrhea or something, you're like, oh, that's the medicine that the doctor gave. So there, you know, there are a lot of practical challenges. We have overcome them with, with you know, uh, information brochures and specific counseling counseling services provided by a dedicated counselor who goes, who walks through it for the for with the families and and tells them what are the things that they will be preventing or avoiding in a child by by providing the care. And we've gotten some improvement in our uptake rates and completion rates. So Great. I'd love to talk about one of the other big challenges with TB, uh, and that is drug resistance. This is an area that's become a greater focus for us here with the Global Health Policy Center. We've recently launched a commission on strengthening America's health security, and drug resistance is one of our five pillar areas within 
within that commission. I'd love to hear a little bit from you about the issue of resistance and why it's such a critical health security threat from your perspective. So, uh, so yes, drug-resistant TB is is an ever-emerging health uh, challenge, really, and and definitely a, 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 a health security risk. Just because drug-resistant TB, drug-resistant TB looks exactly like drug-sensitive TB, or XDR TB looks like drug-sensitive TB also. So there's no distinction. The, the patient doesn't come with a sign that says, you know, you can you can suspect it in somebody who has been on treatment for, for a long time and isn't responding. But, you know, for, for example, if you were exposed to a drug-resistant tuberculosis sometime in your lifetime, and then for, for any reason you got started on, on some medicine that's a your immune system, and then you activate the the bacteria, and it is a drug resistant bacteria. You don't even have a history of in uh, of uh, missing drug doses or protracted treatment. You have none of those risk factors, and you're not exposed to anyone currently who has drug. So it becomes really challenging to uh, to sometimes get to the uh, to the diagnosis. And in children, as I as I said that. It's already a bit of a challenge diagnosing, and the biggest challenge with children in in diagnosing TB and by the same virtue drug resistance is that they um, they don't produce sputum. They and even if they give they are able to give you sputum, it lacks the the number of mycobacteria. It's just so few. Uh, a lot of times it's in the lymph nodes that you don't have ready access to a sample that you can do a gene expert or a test on to detect that this is a resistant bug. It is not going to respond to to your regular medicines. And so, so there, there are many challenges delaying treatment in such patient, in such children, and adults, and, and in adults for other reasons. So, in in children, just to put it in perspective, we expect anywhere the current DRTB burden, drugs and TB burden, to be. 30,000. And the number of children ever reported in literature is less than 1,000. So you can imagine that our, we are detecting, like we're not even detecting a fraction of the real load. And unfortunately, these children uh, typically do, do poorly when not treated. But when treated, they do very well. But when not treated, they do uh, they can succumb uh, to to death and uh, debilitating illness. And unfortunately, adolescents can continue to transmit drug resistant TB. So so the ongoing transmission also happens. So the difficulty with drug resistant TB is that the the, the medicines that we have in the, right now and in the pipeline, well. There, there's very little in the pipeline right now. We do have two new drugs, which are showing very good results in, in XDR TB patients, so extensively drug-resistant TB patients. But for most places in most countries, the regimen is long, expensive. It takes 18 months, and it includes six months of injectables, which are really, really hard to do in children. These are children who are most likely severely malnourished with very little muscle mass to, to actually continue to give these really painful daily injections to. So these are just by virtue of it being a very diff- it uh, being a difficult disease to treat 
it is a health emergency. Well, I think that's a great segue into the next question. It really has become an emergency, and I think particularly in the U.S., but even in the global community, TB has not had the same sort of political attention, financial attention as HIV, for example, malaria. But this year, maybe that's changing. We have the UN holding the first high-level meeting on TB on September 26th. What do you want to see come out of that meeting? Are you expecting a big kind of upsurge in, in political will? Is there anything that you're kind of focused on and hoping you'll see come out of that? Yes. So, so yeah, this is the first time we're getting uh, to have a high-level meeting on tuberculosis, which is a real, it's great, but it is a bit of a shame considering that TB has been around for, you know, like thousands of years. And and unfortunately, the we are at a point uh, we are so behind that that now tuberculosis is the uh, leading infectious disease killer. It's so it's bypassed uh, HIV. So, and so this kind of uh, political attention is is absolutely needed. The problem with the most high burden uh, countries is a weaker health systems because of uh, not having the economic infrastructure to to build those health systems and they do require assistance and help and but this the high level meeting is going to we hope that it uh, enables us to get across the essential commitments that that countries need to the leaders of the countries need to commit to to get to a point where they're able to get tuberculosis under control in their in their uh, countries and in their regions i think for me the the commitments that i would want countries uh, to uh, heads of uh, countries to commit to would be to ensure that children children with tuberculosis are or tuberculosis care and prevention and diagnosis is sort of embedded in the bigger child health agenda. So essentially integrating care across all levels of of child care. Uh, This includes antenatal care, maternal care, because it... Essentially, you cannot you cannot divide or excise these uh, these sections, and then it and then also uh, have the approach to child TB as a, as as a family uh, condition because you can go ahead and treat a child with tuberculosis unless you focus on the entire family and make the household tuberculosis free. You are really not going to have much gain in the long run, and it can continue to perpetuate despite the child having been treated. So that kind of a family, community-centric, patient-centric approach, patient and family-centric approach uh, with with all uh, frontline providers having a clear awareness of TB risk factors in children and signs and symptoms and the capacity to link them or either to do it themselves, the diagnose and treatment, or link them with the appropriate services near their home so they continue. So that is a big commitment that we would want the the countries to, uh, we would push for, for countries to commit to. And the second thing would be to have equitable uh, health care available to, to everyone in the family. And that 
is a big ask also because that would require countries to sort of own their their health problems and come up with their own funding and commit more funding to upping their health care in general and providing are successful moving to universal health care, then it has to be of a quality. It has to be such that it can take care of everyone in in an equitable manner without forgetting tuberculosis, of course. That's our agenda. And the third thing is we we need more funding for R&D. The research and development is uh, we are we are still very behind. We don't have a point of care test for children for tuberculosis. We have sputum based testing, which is which does not work for children who can't produce sputum. We have tools that are really insensitive for for picking diagnosing TB in children, and that's creating one of the issues around children with tuberculosis and leaving so many un- undetected or undiagnosed. So we, we really want to push for research to find that point of care test. And to and secondly, we want an effective vaccine, the 100-year-old BCG that is, is obviously does not prevent disease. However, we don't want countries to go away with the message that, you know, BCG is useless. No, it is not useless, but it is just not effective enough. We need a vaccine for, for children, for adults, for everyone. Thank you for that. I, th- I think, you know, for us, we're particularly focused on U.S. policies um, in our work and what the U.S. government is doing vis-a-vis TB, both bilaterally through its programs, but also multilaterally through the Global Fund and other entities If you had an audience with President Trump or members of Congress, I know you were on the Hill today speaking with with some of our congressional representatives. What did you tell them today or what would you say to the president or the head of USAID or CDC about what the U.S. could be or should be doing differently than it's doing right now? Okay. Well, I would would compliment. I would start with, with saying that uh, you, the U.S. has played an essential role in a lot of the, a lot of the work that is happening in high burden countries through funds like the Global Fund and USAID. They've been they've been uh, uh, excellent leaders uh, leaders in that in that way. And uh, I mean, I for, for one work in a Global Fund funded project, and I have seen firsthand the uh, the the positive impact of of doing that and of uh, uh, essentially reaching children and people who were not being reached prior to that so so yes um we definitely want the us to continue this effort and to continue to be a leader in uh providing funds for countries to enable them to have access to the find treat and prevent uh, agenda that we're heading towards. I think in the next, if we look at the end TB strategy, which is TB elimination in the next 12 years, looking at current progress, we are uh, we are reducing incidence at a rate of 1.5% per year, which is at that rate, we are not going to reach any kind of elimination for the next 200 years. So that kind of just puts into perspective the urgent need to magnify whatever financial commitments that countries are going to make for themselves and also 
donor agencies and uh, funding agencies such as the Global Fund and others and, and other partners and of course the US uh, need to uh, need to do the, the kinds of commitments or, or uh, funding gaps that they have to fill are still quite big. The R&D requirements are, are way more than we have uh, uh, right now. I mean we are still the reason why progress has been slow is also because of you know budget cuts and uh, and not having enough to do uh, the things that we can do at scale. So if we are expecting countries to scale up current currently available tools, we need we definitely need a much much bigger budget. And um, I mean, being a physician, I'm sorry, I can't give you like the the concrete numbers, but that this work has been done. There, uh, TAG and other agencies have exact numbers of uh, the, the funding gaps that, that we face. And when we are asking for these key elements that we need for a correct diagnosis and better care of and prevention in, in children and in others, then we, we, we absolutely need the research and development. That can only happen with, with three times the current budget that we have. So yes, we want continued funding. We do want countries to commit to and own their problem and do whatever they can to to enhance uh, services. But we also need technical assistance from the donors as well as uh, enhanced funding and better budgets for getting care to uh, the missing people and uh, preventing it in, say, 80 million people for in the next in the next four years. It's, it's a tall order. Well, thank you so much for coming and joining us for this episode and for all of your insights about childhood TB and fighting TB globally. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. Thank you for joining us for today's episode of our Take Is Directed podcast on childhood tuberculosis featuring Dr. Farhana Amandala. As always, we invite you to subscribe to the Take Is Directed so that you never miss our latest episode. For more information on our upcoming events and recent publications, visit the CSIS.org Global Health Policy Center program page.